everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. I am your host. As always, today we are doing uh, kind of one, another one of our special Phil Josh episodes where we talk about a topic that's related to Strike Force, not necessarily about the last uh, Strike Force event that we covered, but we're going to be going into something a little bit different today. And today we're going to be talking about dream matchups between the UFC and Strike Force. And so this is going to be a lot of fun. I always enjoy doing these these episodes with Josh. But Josh, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty well. I think, you know, we're going to be talking about dream fights, but really, Phil, we should be talking about how we're the dream team and we're the only <laughs> ones who could actually be having this conversation intelligently. So, and by dream, by dream team, you don't mean Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Greg the Hammer Valentine, the tag team from the <laughs> mid-80s in WWF. Of course, we're more like the dream team from 1992, the basketball the men's basketball. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, if, if we're going to go that route, I, I'm definitely Brutus in that group. Just, just <laughs> saying. Okay. <laughs> so you're 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 the uh, the sizzle, and I'm the steak of uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine with the chops and the big four and all that. Um, well, well, you know, I'm just going off, you know, hair. That basically, you know, I, I, <laughs> I can't go. pull off the long blonde hair or the rhythm and blues, uh, you know, jet <laughs> black hair, either one. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to say before we get started, this is it, it's kind of tough because this is kind of a feel thing because there are very few strike force stars that didn't have a run in the UFC. I mean, almost almost really none of them. I mean, there you know, I guess you could say Bobby Lashley if he, you know, and King Mo, you could say King Mo. Um, I think Fejia was in the UFC for a cup of coffee. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it, it just seems like there were I mean Frank Shamrock, obviously the the first uh, UFC middleweight, you know, really the light heavyweight champion. Uh, Kung Lee had a run. Uh, you know, Gilbert Melendez later on had a run. Josh Thompson was with the UFC both before and after Strike Force. I, I mean, there's just very few signature stars that you think of with the U or with Strike Force that didn't have a run in the UFC. So it's hard to say that oh UFC versus Strike Force. So I tried to kind of focus on champions with these that that like. And, and by the way, we're also talking about jumping eras here. Um, there's some where it's more what it would be like if, you know, one of those strike four stars fought a guy from today, uh, what it would be like if a strike four star from that time fought a UFC guy from that time. So I, it's, it's just a fun conversation. Obviously there's nothing that's real um, set in stone or, Hey, this is absolutely how we're going to do this. But Josh, if you're ready, um, I actually want to start with uh, the, the ladies and move, you know, move our way through some of the men's uh, men's weight classes as well. But if you're ready, Josh, uh, let, let's jump into it. Yeah, let's go. All right. So the, the females, I want to start off with that. So we have, I mean, just the most obvious one was Gina Carano versus Ronda Rousey. I mean, that, that just really like the two signature, at least American signature stars for MMA, and they never got to battle. And as we've uh, discussed in the past, I believe on this show that I think we kind of actually researched it while we were talking about it, but this fight was actually on the table at one point. Uh, according to Gina Carano, uh, she had had talks with uh, with Dana White in 2014, I believe, and they had talked about doing this fight, and I mean, they, they weren't, you know, there were no agreements in place or anything like that, but Dana and her had talked, and then after, right after the conversation, Gina got a text from Dana saying basically something along the lines of, yeah, I just talked to this B and blah, 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 something along those lines. And, uh, and so she realized that he had sent a text to her that he had meant for somebody else, but was obviously referencing her and she kind of called him out on it. And then they never spoke again. And that was the end of that dream fight. So Dana, for all the good stuff that Dana's brought to the table, thanks for ruining that 
uh, for, for <laughs> MMA fans. But, I, you know, from a fight perspective, you know, Gina was a higher weight class. She fought at 145. I don't know if she could have gotten to 35, so maybe they would have done this at a catch weight of 140. But this would have been a really interesting fight. I, I think Ronda's skills had evolved and eclipsed, would have eclipsed Gina's at that point, and especially Gina being out of the cage for five years back in 2014. But So I, I would have gone with Ronda on this one. But, Josh, what did you think? That's a tough one. Um, you know, probably Ronda, uh, if, you know, it's, it's different points in time, but Ronda, a confident Ronda, a young Ronda, I think she probably taps Gina out really quickly. Like she did a lot of the other uh, fighters when she was just <clears throat> starting out Gina Carano for everything that she was to women's MMA. I don't think she was a, a dominant threat in any sort of discipline. So I think Ronda, if she could, survive maybe Gina's Muay Thai and her clinch, she probably would have tapped her out pretty quickly. But that would be a great fight. Yeah, that would have been fun. And obviously from an optic standpoint, not just because of, of their looks, but just from a, you know, their their brands and who they were and how important they were to MMA, uh, especially women's MMA, I, that obviously would have been a huge fight. Uh, the next fight would be Cyborg versus Ronda Rousey. This was another one that was rumored, although this was rumored over a span of years versus just really a one-time thing. And they had talked about, you know, I, I mean, obviously, Cyborg is just much bigger physically than Ronda. So they talked about doing the fight at 140 and uh, Cyborg didn't want to cut down and, and all that stuff. And so the fight, unfortunately, another one that never really materialized. I feel like Cyborg would have destroyed Ronda just because of the striking advantage, as we saw uh, from the the both the Amanda Nunez and the um, Holly Holm fights that Ronda just didn't deal really well with really strong strikers. And so I feel like Cyborg would have just destroyed her. And that's, I don't think it would have been a great contest, but Ronda was very tough. And obviously if she got you on the mat, it was a different ball game. But yeah, I would have given the nod to Cyborg in this one as well. Yeah. And I think Ronda Rousey sort of knew that I, there was a lot of talk obviously about a potential fight. But if you recall, Ronda was coming up with a lot of reasons why she would never fight Cyborg arguing over five pounds, not even wanting to do it at 140. Um, Cyborg probably, I think, would have been too fast and too strong. And Ronda just does not do well when she's hit in the chin. I mean, yeah. that sounds dumb because who is? But Yeah, some I always fight... that when they're like, who doesn't like, he doesn't like being hit in the face. And I was yeah. like, who likes being hit, in the, besides <laughs> mankind, who likes being hit in the face, right? Right, but some, some people... Uh, do a little better. Uh, they yes, have a little bit yes. more of uh, resiliency as opposed to you just got hit, the legs are done, and now it's seconds away from happening. And obviously with, well, you know, I don't want to get into it, but I actually watched the Ronda Amanda Nunez fight and I actually thought she did way better in that fight than she did against Holly Holm. I mean, clearly with Holly Holm, she was just done. But I, she actually tried with Amanda and she was actually knocked out with Amanda on her feet. If you recall. So yes. Yeah. The ref had to stop, step in and stop it. She's just getting blitzed. Yeah. All right. Well, the third fight would be cyborg uh, versus Amanda Nunez, which uh, did happen obviously. And Nunez won that fight handily. Uh, she's just on another level uh, versus, you know, cyborg is the, I mean, cyborg to me is at this point, I think you have to put Nunez as the greatest women's fighter of all time. Uh, but Cyborg was the first great women's fighter, period. You know, and the fact that she's been fighting essentially, I believe, for 20 years or at least close to it and is still as dominant, still holds the Bellator 
gold and is, you know, beaten all comers. And part of that is, is also, I, I also think, and we saw, when you look through her challengers and strike force, she rarely fought a woman that was her size. It was usually a woman that was coming up in weight for the most part. And they, they're just not a ton of really, really top talent, 145 pound female fighters out there. And to this day, there's still, you know, there are, there are some of course, but that are on the level of a cyborg and Amanda Nunez, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like now when Amanda drops to 135 to defend that title, it's a different story because there's a lot, a lot of, you know, just from frame, you know, based on frame and biology and that sort of thing. It's just hard. You know, you don't have as many women that are going to be training as, as much as these women do and keep on enough weight to make 145 pounds. It's just just biology. But uh, yeah, that obviously that fight did happen. And, and we saw the passing of the torch, so to speak, even though, as we said, Cyborg has gone on to. Uh, to continue to be a, a top fi female fighter. But that's that, to me, is probably the greatest dream fight, and we were just lucky enough to actually have it happen. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on to men's. Let's start, start with lightweight. So we've got a few fights here that we wanted to just kind of tick off. But first one that comes to mind, this is just kind of a fun fight, but Gilbert Melendez versus Conor McGregor. Uh, obviously, McGregor's career, or at least his run with the UFC, started after the demise of Strikeforce, so this wouldn't be from, from that time. But... I just, man, for two guys that, that, you know, can go for it. And Gilbert is kind of a do everything fighter, uh, kind of a Jack of all trades. I, I think this would have been fun. I, I, I do feel like Gilbert probably would have lost, but I could have see, I could see him grinding out a decision over McGregor as well, but this would have been a really interesting fight to me. Yeah. You know, it just depends on, you know, timing, obviously Conor McGregor versus Jose Aldo that period. I don't think Gilbert would have beat him, but a little bit after that, I mean, Gilbert just would have had to get him into the second or third round and probably would have submitted him or even knocked him out. You know, it's sort of the story of Connor if you can get past the first round. But, you know, I'm going to talk about this later. Some of my dream fights are, are really about the hype. You know, I think the hype in this fight would be great because it kind of, Gilbert's oh, such yeah. a nice, Gilbert's a nice guy, but I think Connor would bring him out of his shell and we'd see some serious trash talking. But, I, I mean, that's a good fight, I, and I think, you know, Connor, Connor probably wins, you know, if you're betting money, but I think Gilbert could, you know, if they fought 10 times, I think, you know, Connor wins six, Gilbert wins four. You know, it's really close. Yeah, it's kind of a similar – I always think that Eddie Alvarez and uh, and Gilbert were kind of similar, you know, as far as their style and, and that sort of thing, and, and Alvarez lost, obviously, to – to Connor, so I, I think that's a fair indicator. But I hate it. I hate it. I mean, I mean, I don't know if Eddie Alvarez listens, but I wouldn't. <clears throat> Eddie Alvarez was such like uh, he would fall. You know those fights with uh, Chandler. I mean, he just no. Gilbert had a better chin. Eddie Alvarez crumbled under pressure. He he got hurt early. No, I think Gilbert would have done way better, but. But that's just me. I, I'm just not a big fan of Eddie Alvarez. And plus, clearly, he <laughs> he choked against Conor McGregor. Oh my goodness, I was so disappointed in that fight. But <laughs> I, I think I think Gilbert would have done much better. Well, all right. Well, let's talk about another Gilbert fight: Gilbert Melendez versus Nate Diaz. Uh, obviously, this would never, ever, 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 ever happen in a million years because the scrap pack guys are never going to fight one another. But Obviously, yeah. This, I, I mean, I think the only fight that might eclipse this would be like Nick versus Nate. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, <laughs> I, I just, yeah. This would be, this would be an amazing, amazing fight. Two guys that have, you know, trained together, sweated together, bled together. You know, trained e each other for fights, all that stuff, and them throwing down, knowing 
you know, what the, the, you know, the, the, uh, like the weak points in each other's game, strong points, all that stuff. I mean, obviously this would be amazing. And I will say the one time that I went to interview Nick Diaz and Nate was there, uh, Nick and Jake were, were sparring with boxing gloves on in the ring and they were going pretty hard, pretty hard at each other. So I imagine that if you saw training sessions, you probably got to see versions of this fight, but this would have been, this would have been pretty amazing. I think I would go with Nate on this one, just being lankier and taller and, you know, a little heavier. I think I'd probably go with Nate, but this, you know, I could also see Gilbert, you know, putting Nate on his back and winning a decision and doing kind of one of the Diaz decisions, decision losses where it's just, they don't, they don't get really get beat, but they don't win either. <laughs> Yeah, uh, definitely. Well, we have that link between them. We have Josh Thompson, who beat both of them. You know, he beat Nate Diaz. He also beat Gilbert Melendez. So I think it would have been a really competitive fight early in their career before, you know, Nate put on put on a little weight and got, got a little bit bigger. But um, I, I think it would have been a really good fight. Um, and, I, I mean, in, in our 2021 lens, we think Nate wins because we've seen him have a few more of those big moments. But I think it would have been competitive. Yeah. Oh, definitely, for sure. Yeah. And another fight, and last one that we're going to talk about in the lightweight division that would have been competitive would have been uh, Josh Thompson versus Frankie Edgar. And I'm talking about when Edgar was the lightweight champion uh, in the UFC for a while. I would have, man, can you imagine the cardio and just the way that these two guys go after it? that I, I just I would have loved to have seen Thompson and Edgar go after him. Mean, it would have almost assuredly gone a full five rounds. And maybe this would be the fight to do a special like six round fight. <laughs> but I mean the cardio between these two and just again their ability to adapt and change levels and change uh you know disciplines throughout a fight. I, I just think it would have been amazing to watch. I would have loved to have seen those two. Uh I, I probably would go with with uh with Josh just cuz again I think he's a little bit bigger Frankie could you know obviously fought at 45 and I believe has fought at 35 at this point so I think he's in the 35 division so obviously smaller but man what an amazing fight this would have been I would have loved to have seen these two guys go at it Yeah I'm I'm not a huge Frankie Edgar fan I know that uh obviously he's a legend I'm definitely going with Josh here you Josh Thompson you know I'm going with him in just about every fight possible uh just because you know he smiles while he's getting his ass beat so <laughs> there, you go. there you go all right let's move on to the welterweight division just a couple couple fights here uh one is uh tyron woodley versus gsp uh, i just i wanted to get gsp on this list and you know obviously the the obvious fight was for gsp was jake shields and nick nick diaz he took on both those guys and beat both those guys so I, I didn't really include, and either one, neither fight was a just barn burner, fantastic fight. So I didn't include either one of those. But Tyron Woodley, with his wrestling ability and his explosive athletic ability, I think he could have been a problem for GSP. I there's, I don't know that there's any welterweight in history that I would choose to beat GSP. I mean, it's it's tough to say anybody would have beat him. I mean, he ne the only losses he had were early on in his career, and he avenged both of those. Uh, pretty handily as well. So I don't think I'd put anybody over GSP, but it would have been interesting to see a prime Tyron Woodley, uh, maybe a, maybe a Tyron Woodley that hadn't lost by vicious knockout to Nate Marcourt, which as you've discussed, Josh, I believe you said that you feel like that affected him later on, uh, you know, later on in his career and that he's just kind of one of those things he never, never really recovered from because he's always been kind of gun shy uh, since that point. But yeah, I, I would have been really, I would have been interesting to see. I would have been interested to see Woodley and GSP, 
you know, from, from, from their prime eras. Yeah, I, I think GSP wins, but Tyron Woodley had all the skills to make it a good fight. And, and if, you know, I could be in his corner and just say, Woodley, I want you to, you know, get knocked out or knock GSP out in this fight and let's see what happens. Um, I think he could really make it interesting because he's got better striking than G, GSP does for sure. And obviously his wrestling is was really good and GSP's wrestling was really good. So, you know, I think a Ty, Tyron Woodley unhinged and uh, not overthinking it would be a, a very competitive fight for George, George St. Pierre. Um, I can't really think of Woodley anymore as being that guy uh, just because of how he ended his UFC career. But, but um, he definitely showed flashes of it when he was in he was in Strikeforce, um, you know. Definitely. And just one quick note, you know, Gilbert Melendez going back is the winningest fighter in Strikeforce history. I think he's got thir- thirteen wins. Right. Which yeah. uh, I believe that uh, Josh Thompson has the most Strikeforce fights, but Gilbert ended up with the most wins. So yeah. Very dis- Mount, obviously Mount very Rushmore. Disturbing. Yeah. Very uh, for Strikeforce for sure. Absolutely. All right, the other welterweight fight that I want to talk about would just be a just such a fun fight. And actually, technically, we could still see this. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but we could still see this. But it would be Nick Diaz versus Colby Covington. I just from a from a trash talk standpoint, <laughs> I mean, so you know, one of the things about Nick is that he kind of automatically takes on kind of the cool heel role. You know, in in the sense that like he doesn't seem to care about the fans. Like he just kind of like a not stone cold where he's like talking smack about like what he's going to do to guys. It's just more like I'm the best. And you know, I like you, you're not going to beat me and, and not in a tough guy way that it's kind of hard, like not in a tough guy way, like stone cold. So it's a little bit different, but he's got the cool heel thing going on where he's like, you know, I don't care. I don't give an F about anybody and middle fingers and all that stuff. And at the same time he gets cheered like crazy, right? Like everybody yeah. loves, loves the Diaz brothers. So then you put him in a, you know, you put him in a, a, a feud, so to speak, with Frank Shamrock. And Frank is essentially something of the baby face because he's the old dog, the legend. It's in San Jose, all that stuff. And so, you know, you kind of make Nick the, the heel, but kind of hard to boo a guy that really goes after it, doesn't take shortcuts and, and really wants to put on a show. So he's obviously going to be the de facto baby face against, you know, perhaps the biggest heel in UFC history in Colby Covington. So I, I just from a, the, the video packages and the trash talk and the I'm sure the separation that would need to happen if, the, you know, if they did a press conference and Dana and, a, you know, an, ar- an army of security guards keeping them at bay when they would do their face off, all that stuff. I just think this would be an amazing, amazing fight that I think because of Diaz's boxing, I think I would give him the edge. But, man, I, this would be just such an incredible fight to see promoted. Well, I don't think the buildup would be politically correct in any oh, way, shape, not. or form, uh, which would make it fantastic. I think Colby Covington would probably offend, you know, just about everybody on the planet. And uh, Nick Diaz would, you know, entertain everybody on the planet. I mean, if you remember with Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, Conor lit up Nate Diaz verbally in almost every exchange and you know Nate just sat there and just took it and said I'll show you inside you know the cage and I think it'd be a little similar with Nick you know Nick's a little bit of a better talker but that fight that does 1.5 million pay-per-view buys today that would be such a huge (laughs) huge fight money-wise so 
Never say never. Um, <laughs> I don't. Th- again, I don't think we're going to happen. Just they see it happen just based on where they're at in their careers. But yeah, again, never say never. All right, let's move on to the middleweight division. Some fun ones here. Uh, let's, Josh. Let's start off with one that you that you threw on, um, and, and then we'll follow it up with with kind of my version of that. But uh, you said uh, Lock, Luke Rockhold versus Anderson Silva. I mean, the two you know two middleweight champs from that from that time, the Strikeforce era. What, what are your what, what are your thoughts there? Well, Luke Rockhold, when he was healthy and he was at his best in Strikeforce, I mean, he's throwing those kicks. You know, he's a kickboxer. He's a good striker. I mean, he's good on the ground. I think he could have posed a very significant challenge for Anderson Silva, even in, in his prime. Um, obviously, it's a tough fight, um, you know, in terms of, of um, you know, we're looking at Anderson being so great, and we look at Luke Rockhold being like, wow, he could have been great. He was really, really good, but injury sort of stopped him. But I would love to see the striking there. I'd love to see Luke's a big strong guy and uh, he can knock you out and so I just think it would have been it would have been really good to see I mean obviously Anderson Silva is the favorite in that fight uh he you know it's hard to go against him with just about anybody but but Luke Rockhold I mean he he, he was fantastic in some of those strike force fights and I'm not talking about Michael Bisping I'm talking about you know when he's in there you know in strike force so I think it would have been good I could see um I could see Luke, uh, you know, delivering some kicks, you know, and maybe, you know, catching Anderson and, you know, maybe knocking him out. I mean, he certainly hits harder than Chris Weidman does. So, yeah, that's, you know. <laughs> yeah that would I, I mean, it would have been interesting. Yeah, I'm going to go with Anderson because I'm going to go with Anderson about just with because you hate because you're jealous no. of Luke Rockhold, <laughs> which, by the way, Luke Rockhold, <laughs> the most finishes in strike force history, the most finishes in strike force history. So and we haven't even really gotten into his main, uh, you know, main card run yet in strike force as far as where we're at in the history of the show or the history of the promotion. So I'm excited to get to see those. I, I was kind of out of MMA by the time strike force closed up shop and wasn't really involved and was getting less and less involved um, by 2012 when it got the promotion got acquired by the UFC. Um, so it was, you know, there was, I was still definitely involved because I was when the, you know, the, the acquisition happened, that's essentially when I lost my, my role, I believe with strike force, but um that yeah that it, it's i'm excited to see the rock hold stuff because it's uh, yeah most most finishes in strike force history so nine and oh nine and oh luke Rockhold and yeah with force. i believe with seven finishes so yeah. pretty amazing uh another luke Rockhold fun uh fight that i think would have been fun would have been luke versus rich franklin uh this is obviously the ufc champion version of rich franklin who you know got beat by anderson silva but that would have been a fun one, you know, two good looking guys and, you know, kind of, again, more known for their striking than their submissions, but could also hold, hold on, hold on. You don't be putting Rich Franklin in the same <laughs> category as Luke Rockhold. Come, Come on, on. Don't you think Ace, Ace, you know, Rich Ace Franklin? Come on, man. Could... <laughs> um, what are you going to throw in Nick Diaz in there? No, next? no, Come I'm on. not going to throw in Nick Diaz in there. Uh, if you blow on Diaz, he, he, he bleeds. So yeah, definitely not putting him in there, but uh, you know, Rockhold versus Franklin. I think that would have been a fun fight too. I think that would have been an interesting one to see, uh, see those two guys square off kind of similar skill sets. I think Rockhold is a, a, probably a better striker. Rich probably had a little bit of an edge on the, on the mat, uh, during that time. But at that point, you know, he had Rich had evolved as much as he was going to evolve as a fighter. So Rockhold kind of by default probably had a more evolved skill set. So I think that would have been fun. I would, I would have liked to have seen that, um, see that one happen, but I'm sure, 
that Josh, you would have, uh, you, you would, you would have sided with Rockhold on that one. So we'll just, we'll just leave it be. Uh, but I wanted to bring up Anderson Silva again. This one is one that was talked about back then. And unfortunately we never got to see, but Kung Lee versus Anderson Silva. I, I mean, I don't know that there would be a more from an inside the cage perspective. Cause obviously ne- neither Kung nor Anderson was ever a great promoter. You know, neither of them, uh, obviously Anderson had, uh, he didn't speak English at that time. His English has gotten much, much better at this point, but he didn't really speak English then. And Kung was never really a great, um, you know, a great, a great on the stick guy. So, but from a, you know, <laughs> they never would have gone to the mat probably. Uh, Anderson was never known for his wrestling, so he wasn't going to get Kung to the mat. So they were going to kick and punch and see who stood <laughs> through the, through most of it. Anderson, probably the better overall striker. Uh, but Kung with those kicks and everything, I, I think he would have really given Anderson a run for his money. Uh, and, and so I would have loved to have seen that fight. I mean, who wouldn't have wanted to see that fight? Yeah, I mean, I think considering Scott Smith knocked out Kung Lee, I think Anderson Silva probably would have um, handled Kung. But again, Kung with those spinning back kicks into Anderson Silva's gut. I, um, I don't know a lot of guys who could stand up to that. So it definitely would be exciting. Hey, let me throw this in there real quick. Not to keep bringing up Luke Rockhold, but I think Luke Rockhold versus Kung Lee uh, would have been a great yeah, fight too. That Just a good a fun kick, one. kickboxing yeah. affair uh, right there. Uh, you know, if he hits Luke on the chin, pretty boy's going down. So it would be yeah. a really, really good fight too. All right, one more in the middleweight division that I want to touch on, then we'll move on because I, I want to keep going. But Frank Shamrock versus Chael Sonnen. I, I just, man, I would have, again, from a promotional standpoint, this is on the level of a, a Nick Diaz versus Colby Covington. Uh, you know, you have Chael as the, essentially the originator of the Colby Covington character, um, so to speak. But, you know, Frank obviously could talk people into the building. Chael could talk people into the building. Frank, uh, clearly the better, the more, you know, the more talented overall fighter for sure. But if Chael got his hands on him and got him to the mat, you know, who knows what could have happened there. But, man, I would have loved to have seen the buildup of Frank Shamar versus Chael Sonnen. Wow, this may be the best one of them all, Phil. I, mean, I, I think so. About that. Seriously, from a promotional standpoint, I think it could be. Shamrock versus Chael, oh, both trash talkers. Oh, my goodness. That, and that would be that would have been a decent fight, too. So Yeah, I, mean, I think so. I think so. Can we get Bellator to book it today? <laughs> <laughs> Man, Frank's been out so long. I don't think he's coming back. All right. From a, a light heavyweight standpoint, uh, we got several fights here. We're not going to go through all of them just again for, for, for time's sake, but uh, King, King Mo's on here a couple times. So uh, King Mo versus Rashad Evans. Again, this is the Rashad Evans that was champion in the UFC at that time. But uh, I think that could have been a really good fight. Both of them were really good, really good wrestlers with really, really solid one punch knockout power. Uh, if you, if you don't believe me on sugar Rashad Evans, just watch him knock out Chuck, Le- Chuck Liddell. Uh, that was a you know obviously a brutal brutal knockout. So uh, King Mo versus Rashad Evans, I think that would have been a very very competitive fight. I, that's kind of a pick'em fight. I'm not sure who would win, uh, who would win that one, but that would be an interesting one. Uh, we also on, have on here Feijiao versus Shogun. Uh, again, both these guys were light heavyweight champions around the same time in Strike Force and the UFC respectively. Uh, two Brazilian guys that you know known for their knockout power and uh, just I think that would have been a fun one as well. I would have loved to have seen that one. Gegard Mousasi versus John Jones. Uh, you know, Gegard goes back and forth between middleweight and light heavyweight. Uh, he's actually the Bellator middleweight champion right now. Uh, this is kind of a similar situation with Anderson Silva where I just, 
I don't know that there's anybody that I pick against John Jones, but Gegard, despite his issues with wrestling, uh, you know, his, he is one of, you know, one of the, the better fighters in, in kind of that, that hybrid. If there was a 195 weight class that Gegard would probably be in the top five of it. Uh, but I think that would have been a really, really interesting fight as well. But uh, Josh, any, any thoughts on any of the King Mo versus Rashad, Fajal versus Shogun and Gegard versus John Jones? Well, let me weigh in on Gegard Mousasi because, you know, he's always been one of my favorites. Uh, just so good. I mean, in every way. And he got better at wrestling after the King Mo fight. And I, I would love to see him against John Jones. I think that his chances of winning would be slim, but he has a style where he could actually force John Jones to actually fight and not just rely on his reach and his illegal elbows. Sorry. I, don't <laughs> um, <laughs> I think Gegard would actually make him work for his victory. So that, that, that would be great. And, and, and who knows, you know, what, you know, maybe we could see that in Bellator one day if John Jones doesn't work out his stuff with the UFC. Hey, let me just add, since we're talking about John Jones and we mentioned King Mo. I know John Jones would beat King Mo um, in a fight, but King Mo is such a mouth on him, and he's so good at promoting fights that I would love to see him just talk trash about John Jones. And uh, King Mo is mostly better as a middleweight, not as a light heavyweight. So there's a lot of problems with that. But in terms of the hype, the buildup, I think King Mo could really push John Jones into being something more than he is, which is kind of just like like. Like, like, I feel like John Jones could have been the Muhammad Ali of, of UFC if he wanted to, but he just doesn't talk. He doesn't have a great personality. He just kind of does his thing. I think King Mo could have brought maybe the worst out of John Jones, and it would have been a great thing to see. But, you know, John Jones is too big for him. But in terms of hype, I'd love to have seen that build up too. I think drugs brought the worst out of John Jones. <laughs> well, that's, what, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah. he's so good, but, but just there's so many his character, this, you know, so many issues multi, there, so many issues there. And, and yet, you know, here's a guy who may actually go his whole fight, his whole career undefeated. I know he's got that weird technical loss, but here's a guy who could really go his career, possibly undefeated, who um, really is not even a mainstream star, really, which is yeah. odd, which you know? is, which is unfortunate too. I mean, you know, obviously Habib ended up uh, retiring undefeated, but if you look at Re Habib's record, uh, you know, yes, he definitely fought like the best guys that were available at that time. Um, but uh, John Jones, I mean, you Gustafson and, and DC and I mean, just all Shogun and all the names on John Jones record over a long period of years that he's been at the top. I, I just it's yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to put. In, I don't know how John Jones isn't on the, the the Mount Rushmore of the greats. I mean, it's just, you know, and it's unfortunate that he's had all the issues that he's had because there's all the questions of drugs and all that stuff. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate. And maybe he, you know, does figure out his weight cutting or his weight issues. And he, you know, the heavyweight thing does work out and we see a, a whole new chapter of, of John Jones career. And then he's just unquestionably the greatest of all time. If he wins the UFC heavyweight title at some point. So as long as he never steps in the ring with France, Francis Nagano, because oh, man. He'll, that... he, he will, he will die in 30 seconds in that I... fight. I, but one, he I, can beat anyone else in that division. I that think. might be yeah. one I might pay to see if that one ever happens. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's jump up to – as John Jones is jumping up to heavyweight, let's also jump up to heavyweight and, and wrap up this this chat. We've got a few fights to go through in here, a few dream fights. But, Josh, you've got a couple to kick us off with, so why don't you, uh, why don't you throw those out there we can discuss. Okay, first is kind of a fun one, Herschel Walker 
versus Bobby Lashley. Uh, these were, you know, these were Strike Force fighters. Obviously, Herschel Walker had a couple fights in Strike Force, and so he was um, not really tested. He was put in there with guys he could beat, and then Bobby Lashley, very similar, although he did get beat by Chad Griggs. But these are two big sort of monster heavyweights, and I would love to have seen if Herschel Walker could have actually pulled off the upset against Bob Lashley, Bobby Lashley, just through his athleticism, and you know Lashley just so powerful and big. I'd love to see him put a beat down on Herschel Walker and say, "Hey, you're a great athlete, but this is fighting." You know, you're just, you know, not up to it. So I think that would have been a classic, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, uh, opening opening fight on a Strike Force show on Showtime or something. And then um, the big one that we never saw, you know, would be AKA teammates Daniel Cormier and Cain Velasquez. Cain uh, Velasquez was at one point considered the greatest heavyweight of all time. And Daniel Cormier, um, obviously, probably now is considered the greatest heavyweight of all time. They were friends. They didn't want to fight. But I think Cain Velasquez um, and DC, like, that, that would have been just unbelievable. And um, honestly, I give the edge to Daniel Cormier. I was always annoyed me that he... He didn't want to fight Kane. I know they're, they're friends and all that, but they could have made a lot of money. They could have hugged afterward. I think Daniel Cormier had a little more uh, that he could have brought, and he showed it. Uh, he didn't have the body or the physique or anything. You know, Kane was not exactly ripped either, but, you know, Daniel Cormier always figured out a way to win fights, you know, for the most part, um, you know, with the exception of a couple there, you know, with Stipe and John Jones. But but um, I, I think it would have been awesome these guys like you know almost like a Bret Hart Owen Hart kind of thing you know like they would have made up and they they would just would have had so much chemistry together and uh you know I think Daniel Cormier would have won but I, I it's a shame to me that they let their friendship get in the way of what co what could have been a great one-time thing yeah I I think those are both great calls I I the Walker Lashley one is almost I'd almost would consider that a miss because they like they should have booked that you know they should have made that happen because I just from a, a promotional standpoint it would have made a lot of sense they're both kind of you know early on in their careers but uh, if Lashley was going to make his mark you know beating a guy like Walker would have been a big deal and for Walker obviously that would have been a big one so I, I would yeah that would have been a great one DC versus Velasquez yeah of course that would be an amazing fight I'd give the edge to DC just because he's got higher level wrestling uh, although Velasquez was probably a better striker, but that, yes, of course that would have been, that would have been amazing as well. Um, and then we got two more that I want to go through. One of these names has been brought up. The other three have actually not been discussed at all. Uh, I, I don't think that they've been discussed at all yet in this, but uh, Alistair Overeem versus Francis Ngannou. Uh, you know, I, I got to go with Ngannou. I mean, I, I believe they already fought. If I remember correctly, I think that, I think Ngannou beat him, right? I, I feel like that, that, that fight already happened, but um, I don't. I don't know, but I think uh, poor Alistair. You must hate Alistair because <laughs> Alistair. Alistair. Speaking of, you know, if if was it you said uh, Nick Diaz uh, bleeds if you blow on him, Alistair. You know, hits the ground if you blow on him. So, um, <laughs> yes, I don't. I don't know that they fought or not. Yes, they I did. Actually, okay, right. I just looked it up as we were as we were talking. They actually fought twice. Or no, I'm sorry, they fought once. Uh, and Ganu knocked him out in the first round, a minute 42 into the first round back in 2017. So, yes, they did. They did fight, punched him, punched him out. So, Ngannou already won that fight. I'm thinking Ngannou from now versus Alistair from back then. But, yeah, I, and not only would we already know that Ngannou would win, uh, but it just that's kind of like the, the best champion 
in strike force history or the best heavyweight champion in strike force history versus you know the the best ufc heavyweight right now i just think it would have been an interesting plus, fight from that from that time plus i think alistair could do better than that uh than getting knocked out that quickly today because i think back then when they fought people didn't know that he was going to be knocking out everybody in a minute or so alistair when he's technical if you look at his fabricio verdun fights like he's a smart fighter right so he might have been able to make something happen there. Just real quickly, and then I'll stop. Daniel Cormier versus Francis Naganu, I think, would have been a really good fight too. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. that would have been yeah, that would have been awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we got one more fight to go over. We have discussed this in the past, but to me, the fight that I would have loved to have seen would have been Fedor Emelianenko versus Brock Lesnar. That would have been. That would have been the fight that I just I don't know if there's a better dream fight really um, between the two promotions. I mean, you've got Fedor, the greatest heavyweight of all time versus Brock at that point was the most, I don't know, unique heavyweight fighter. I, I mean, just from a, his look to his skill set that it, it just yeah, he wasn't the greatest overall heavyweight. He just was so big and so brute force you know, cutting down to make 265, yet you have guys like Bigfoot cutting down to, to 265 that don't have, you know, half the athletic ability of a Brock Lesnar who just moves like a cat. I mean, so quick. Uh, yeah, one of those guys that if you hit him in the face, he, he didn't deal well with that. Uh, the diverticulitis obviously hurt his career as well, so maybe it would have been even more successful if he hadn't dealt with, had to deal with that. But Fedor from that time versus Brock from that time, I just – I don't know that you make a, a bigger fight. I will mention, as we've been discussing this, one fighter that I tried to kind of work into here that I just couldn't find a really good spot for was Randy the Natural Couture. I, Randy versus Fedor was never a, a real possibility because Randy was still under contract with UFC at that time and then ended up retiring. But, you know, the ESPA, the ES, uh, I'm sorry, ESPN, the EA Sports MMA video game featured Randy and Fedor on the cover. They played against each other in, you know, in competitions like a, as, you know, promotional tactics. There was, you know, they did a face off at one point. There was obviously that would have been an amazing fight that I feel like Fedor would have won pretty handily. Um, so I, you know, I'll throw that one in there too. And then I'll also throw in Randy versus Frank Shamrock at light heavyweight. I think that would have been a really fun one and a really interesting fight as well. Two legends going after each other. And I think that could have been an incredible fight as well. Uh, and I would have loved to have seen that, but I, I got to put Fedor versus Brock at the top of my list as far as wish list goes uh, for, for these fights that we've talked about today. I think we put all these heavyweights in an elimination chamber, and right. we started out with Fedor and Brock as the first two. Just to make and sure that we get to see it. <laughs> yeah, and we have Naganu come out last. You know, I think that that would definitely work. Um, yeah, I, I, obviously Dana White is at fault here. I really hope he doesn't botch the Naganu John Jones dream fight, but the fact that we never saw Fedor and Brock, I really feel as a promoter's regrets you know obviously it's it's m1 global and fedor's people too but i mean that was it's just a tragedy they they could have printed money with a fight and a rematch there and uh, it just it just didn't happen obviously fedor would have won i i think he just would have had enough skills um you know as long as brock didn't you know just smother him the whole fight um but i don't think brock knocks him out i don't think brock submits him Brock would have to grind out a decision, and I think 
the start of each round would be terror for Brock Lesnar. So I think that would have been a, a dream fight. And you just got to go with a guy who went 10 years undefeated versus a guy who just uh, never was able to be consistent enough to develop any kind of serious long-term legacy outside of being just, you know, a great, great uh, attraction, you know, for a few years. So yeah, that, that's a great one too. But um, I go with, uh, with Fedor, you know, just about every time. Yeah, me too. All right, well, we've gone a little longer than I wanted to, so let's uh, let's hurry to a close here. But uh, some really cool fights. I think this was this was fun to discuss. Uh, coming up, we're going to be talking about Strikeforce Henderson versus Babalu Two, uh, which features some really interesting fights. Uh, you have OSP versus Benji Raddick, Robbie Lawler with one of the most brutal knockouts you'll see against Matt Linlin, Bigfoot Silva versus Mike Kyle, Paul Daly versus Scott Smith, another one of Josh's heartbreaker fights right there. Uh, and then in the main event, we've got Dan Henderson taking on Hinato Sobral. In that, in those five fights that we're talking about on the main card, four of them ended in knockouts, all coming by way of punches. So this is going to be a fun one to talk about uh, for sure. So I'm looking forward to to jumping into that. Uh, we're working on our, our next interview episodes and that sort of thing. Don't have anything locked down uh, quite yet, but we've got some fun ones. Uh, we got some fun fighters that have agreed to appear on the show. So we've got more coming. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you check us out on social media. You can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at the hexagon pod. And finally, of course, you can reach me at fill it inside the hexagon.com. I would love to get your thoughts and your feedback, but Josh, I appreciate you taking the time to join us with that. We're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. Hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy and we will see you soon. should be simple just put on your shoes and go and yet when you try to learn about how to get better at it especially as you age you're confronted with conflicting advice complicated workouts and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you on the planted runner i'll share exactly how to run faster longer and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 